1: Put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: Welcome to Special Edition. A weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to
3: Special Edition. I'm Paula Degnan. Coming up on Special Edition this week, Pennsylvania Department of Health Dr. Rachel Levine has a message for college and university students across the Commonwealth. We'll get details from an attorney out of Harrisburg on a recent judge's decision this week regarding the pandemic shutdown in the state. Intercom's Frank Andrews catches up with the CEO of the Wright Center about the MOMS program and the grant that they received. And as the COVID-19 pandemic continues, Americans are having to adjust their way of life to slow the spread of the virus, likely impacting the mental health of many. Joining us on behalf of AbV to share advice on how to navigate living with bipolar disorder during the pandemic, Dr. Kathy Flanagan. Dr. Flanagan gives us some background on herself and then some good advice.
4: I'm a board-certified psychiatrist and fellow private practice in Houston, Texas. My surgery um, is in psychiatry, um, and I treat um, have an area of expertise in patients who suffer with mood disorder. And I believe that that's probably become very
5: prevalent during the pandemic. What have you seen?
4: What has been um, Paula is that there's been an uptick in patients who are feeling a lot more anxious and depressed, and clearly those with pre-existing um, mental health challenges are more likely to have negative and emotional, um, negative emotional and psychological responses.
5: And one of the things that we hear we've been hearing a lot about is bipolar. And can you give us a little bit of a
4: distinction? What does bipolar actually mean? Bipolar disorder is a chronic condition that can cause unpredictable high and low mood swings, also known as manic and depressive episodes. These episodes can last anywhere from days to months. Now sometimes one might think that these uh, mood episodes um, are random, but both depressive and manic episodes are oftentimes triggered by something stressed in particular, particular, like the COVID-19 pandemic.
5: So someone may not even know that they have a bipolar disorder, but then because of the pandemic, it may manifest itself?
4: Yes, we can have that. That can occur. Now, we have bipolar 1 depression, um, and those symptoms are identical to major depressive disorder. And what patients might um, report or experience might be feelings of hopelessness, feeling sad, uh, some changes in their appetite or weight, and being quite indecisive, and also they might report that they have lost interest in things that they once enjoyed. However, if they're having the manic um, symptoms, which is very unique to bipolar disorder, these patients will report uh, decreased need for sleep without feeling tired, um, increased irritability, as well as um, an increased surge of energy, and will engage in high-risk or impulsive behavior. So it sounds almost like someone
5: could be having those kind of symptoms and maybe not even know where they came from because there's all there's so many other things that are happening in the world uh, that have become even more emphasized
4: by the pandemic. So what would someone do? Well, before we go further, uh, further, Paula, let me just say I am a faith consultant for Avvy, and I'm delighted to be here. Now, if for some reason a person begins to experience these symptoms, um, we would encourage them to contact a healthcare provider, um, and I you mean, know, contact that healthcare provider to to be sure be evaluated. But we know during this pandemic time, um, there's been some reduced access to outpatient treatment that has occurred in in your area then of course we're saying call the health care provider to see if perhaps you can get a telehealth visit
5: and Dr. Flanagan I think probably one of the most important things is as you just said to make a call or try to see someone but a lot of people are that can't be me that's not happening to me I can deal with this what do you say to them what I
4: would say to them as well as their caretaker or friend or loved one is that if you're not functioning well and you're continuing to feel like you're spiraling out of control, take care of yourself, make the telephone call. We know oftentimes people are afraid to make that telephone call because sometimes they don't like that diagnosis of bipolar depression, but for you know, but it's so important to take good care of yourself during this pandemic um and to get a routine. Um, Because with the pandemic and all of the public health recommendations, so many of us are off of our day-to-day routines. And when that occurs and we're not sleeping well at night, we're finding ourselves engaging in um, activities that sometimes we otherwise would not. And oftentimes we won't eat healthy as well. So it's important to get back on a routine. Again, let me point out, to get help as soon as you can.
5: When... Things like this happen, sometimes people, obviously you mentioned uh, varying behaviors, and probably one of the least travel or the the, the least wanted to be traveled past by uh, an expert in the field such as you would be to trying to mask it by use of alcohol or any other type of drugs. So that would definitely be a no-no,
4: I'm sure, coming from you. Right. People find, uh, yes, um, clearly to stay away from substances is important, whether that be alcohol or illicited drugs. But, of course, you know, there are other treatments as well um, that we would, well, clearly there are other treatments A way to cope with this. And one is through talk therapy um, or support groups. And clearly there is always the option of medication um, and one particular medication that um, can has been approved by the fda for treatment of bipolar depression in adults as well as acute treatment of manic and mixed episodes of bipolar disorder is raylaw or carifazine and many patients have found this treatment to be helpful in smoothing out those highs and lows of bipolar disorder and i unfortunately we're, we're i could spend the whole day with you because this
5: is this is one of those topics that a lot of people don't necessarily talk about because it can't happen to me so you obviously have been seeing more in your practice and you've been hearing more, uh, more people becoming, uh, becoming diagnosed with something that may have been a pre-existing condition, correct?
4: That is correct. And one of the things I want to mention about the medication, Ray is that there's some key safety information that Um, want to be aware of, and and that is elderly people with dementia-related psychosis taking this medication are at an increased risk of death or stroke, and it has not been approved for patients with dementia-related psychosis. Also, as mentioned before, call your doctor. In particular, if you notice any unusual changes um, in your behavior or experience suicidal thoughts because of antidepressants, like this medication, can also be uh, increased in, in, in children and young adults. And of course, like with all medications, there are some um, most common side effects: um, difficulty moving or slow movements, tremors, uncontrolled body movements, restlessness, and feeling like you need to move around, sleepiness, and stomach issues. These are not the only side effects. However, you you can learn more about this treatment, including additional safety information, at Raylar.com. dot com.
3: There was good news in the form of a grant received at the Wright Center in Scranton this week.
6: The Department of Health and Human Services from Washington sent a couple of representatives here today to provide a grant and award for one of the best medical facilities in our area, and that is the Wright Center for Community Health. And on the line with us right now is Dr. Linda Thomas Hemack, who is the CEO. Dr. Hemack, what was the grant? What's happening there at the Wright Center?
0: So, we were really excited this morning to welcome um, our Deputy Secretary of Health and Human Services for the United States of America. And he came here to make a big announcement for us, which is we have received a half a million dollars worth of funding from the Health Resource Service Agency of the United States um, for um, addiction and recovery services. Um, and our service lines in that domain to be expanded to pregnant women in rural communities to help those women and their babies and their families.
6: Now, uh, you know, I, I wasn't aware that there was such a need. I mean, are the rural communities not being served unless the Right Center kind of jumps in and helps here?
0: I think that um, rural communities are notably at a disadvantage in terms of access the comprehensive health services and clearly addiction and recovery services are very challenged in those rural communities here in northeastern Pennsylvania.
6: So now I mean I'm reading the news release here and it's the Healthy Moms program so will this be an inpatient program where if you have a pregnant woman that is dealing with an addiction problem you bring them into a treatment center how does it work?
0: No, this is actually um, really proudly a community-based initiative that happens mostly in the outpatient, ambulatory world, in the community where the mom lives, um, with the social and the legal and the medical supports that she needs. um, And the resource agencies all coming together to jumpstart her life in recovery. And hopefully the only time she's going to need a hospital is when she delivers the baby.
6: What if they don't have insurance?
0: Um, The program is non-discriminatory and takes all comers. And so um, we're an essential community provider and we actually get federal resources to be sure that everything that we do has equity um, threaded through it. So it's for everyone.
6: Now, you know, the, the right Center continues to grow in reputation. I know we have had uh, officials on during this whole COVID crisis. You guys are growing by leaps and bounds, and, and you're doing everything. And now this Healthy Moms program is just a, a tremendous asset. But I, I got to ask you this. If, if, a, if a pregnant woman, you know, who is facing an addiction problem comes for help, does she also put the baby in jeopardy with children and youth because she has an addiction problem?
0: You know what? Um, Historically, the challenges dealing with patients and families adversely affected by addiction um, really has been, um, I I think, um, at the mercy of a lot of stigma and a lot of misperceptions. And I have to say that um, it's a new day in addiction and recovery services. It's a new day in the judicial system. People recognize that um, opiate misuse, substance dependence, substance misuse, um, their medical conditions um, and their health challenges. And I think we're moving in the direction of a much more benevolent approach to helping patients and families and our interaction with CYS has been very focused at least here in Lackawanna and Luzerne County on honoring the parental relationship between the moms and their babies and doing everything possible to keep them together as long as it's safe.
6: Good for you. Now is there any way that people can get in touch with the right Center? Is there any any action that they can take to find out more about your program?
0: Sure. Um, they can look us up at www.healthymoms.org. Um, and what they'll learn from the website is it's not just about the ride Center. I mean, we are a backbone organization, but there's a lot of community stakeholders involved, maternal family health, the county agencies, CYS, Treehab, the organization called PATH. So there's a lot of partners all working together to make Healthy Moms successful. Or they can actually call 570 955
3: Don't go away. Next on Special Edition, Dr. Rachel Levine with a message for college and university students and details about a judge's decision earlier this week regarding the pandemic shutdown in the state. Welcome back to Special Edition. Attorney Mark Scaringi will be with us talking about the judge's decision earlier this week regarding the pandemic shutdown in the state. But first, Pennsylvania Department of Health Dr. Rachel Levine has a message for college and university students.
7: I have a very important message today for college and university students across Pennsylvania. We need your help. We are seeing significant increases in COVID-19 cases in 19 to 24 year olds throughout the state. I'd like to highlight two areas of the state that have seen the biggest increases. In North Central Pennsylvania in April, approximately 7% of cases were in people ages 19 to 24. So far in September, 69% of the cases in North Central Pennsylvania are in 19 to 24 year olds. In the Northeast, 6% of cases in April were in 19 to 24 year olds, and so far for September, 40% of cases are in that age group. Throughout the rest of the state, we are also seeing an average of about a 19% increase in the number of cases in 19 to 24 year olds compared to April. So why the big jump in cases? The most significant difference between the case increases that we are seeing now and what we saw in April is that colleges and universities are back in session. College and university students are uniquely positioned now to help change the course of the spread of this virus by changing and adapting your actions to protect yourself, your friends and others in the community. You are very welcome guests in the community where your school is based. But what happens on campus directly impacts everyone off campus and in the community. Increases in COVID-19 cases impact local children and their ability to go to school in person. Increase in COVID-19 cases impact local businesses and their ability to stay open. And increases in COVID-19 cases impact the courageous and brave individuals who care for our most vulnerable residents in other healthcare settings, such as long-term care facilities. So here's what you can do today, right now, to stop the spread of COVID-19. If you test positive for COVID-19, isolate, according to public health experts orders, even if you are not feeling ill you are still contagious. If you have come in contact with someone who has tested positive, you need to quarantine for 14 days after the last time you were exposed to that person. Even if during that 14 days you test test negative, you still actually have to quarantine for 14 days because of the incubation period. If you are out on campus or visiting with friends, you need to wear a mask. You need to social distance. Avoid, avoid large groups and wash your hands and use hand sanitizer. One of the biggest lessons that we have learned from this pandemic is that we are all interconnected and interdependent on each other really in every way. The virus has passed through every societal barrier because asymptomatic individuals can and do unknowingly and unintentionally infect others. We must be united, we must stand united in our efforts to stop this virus from doing more damage to our communities, our families, and our friends. So, as always, stay calm, stay alert, and please stay safe.
3: Earlier this week, a judge handed down his decision about how the pandemic shutdown in the state was orchestrated. Intercom's Frank Andrews got one attorney's reaction.
6: Attorney Mark Scaringi calling from Harrisburg. Mark, you have become our on-call legal analyst whenever we have a challenge to Governor Wolf. How are you? I'm doing great, Frank. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. So let me get, you, let me get you just your, your gut reaction to that judge's decision yesterday uh, against the governor.
8: I thought it was a wonderful decision. Uh, Judge Stickman did a, a very comprehensive job in applying the law to the facts of the case. And uh, it was a great victory for business owners, for employers, for employees, and for all the people of Pennsylvania.
6: Okay. Now, I, I'm. this is where I, why I called you today. I'm getting the impression that right now it doesn't mean anything because a lot of the stuff that he ruled were unconstitutional are always— So what is the real impact on real people right now?
8: Well, it holds unconstitutional the indoor and outdoor congregate gathering limits. The limit to 25 persons indoor and 250 persons outdoor. That has been declared to be unconstitutional. Thus, it, has no, longer, it no longer has any legal effect, and the governor cannot enforce it.
6: Okay, but why, why doesn't that then immediately help the restaurants and bars? Well, the problem is
8: the judge ruled that the plaintiffs did not challenge the occupancy limits, the 25 percent, 50 percent, and 75 percent. So the judge did not rule on that particular issue. Now, in our lawsuit pending before the United States Court in the Middle District of Pennsylvania, we have challenged the occupancy limits, but they weren't part of the suit that Judge Stickman decided yesterday.
6: Okay, let me ask you a question, and this is this is just me thinking out loud. You you had how many challenges did you have to the governor? Was it three cases or two?
8: Two cases, one in the United States, I'm sorry, one in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court and one in the United States Court of the Middle District in Pennsylvania.
6: Okay, the whispers are that the reason that this was against the governor was because all of a sudden we had a Trump appointed judge. So, are we seeing that I mean the the cases that favored the the governor. Were they Democrat judges and then all of a sudden we have a Republican judge? Because that's a scary scenario.
8: Well, in the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, we have a a, a majority of Democrats, uh, five to two, Democrats to Republican at the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court. Uh, the particular judge that I have in the Middle District was uh, was an appointee under President the President Bush administration, uh, supported by then Governor Tom Ridge.
6: Okay, so I'm just <laughs> so I, I'm way out there in left field, Mark. Where the governor said that he wants to get a stay. And he wants to appeal this. Where where does that happen?
8: He'll appeal the decision to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. He has to request a stay, which is a stop or a pause in the legal effect of Judge Stickman's orders. He'll have to file that request before Judge Stickman first, and Judge Stickman will likely deny the stay request and and so then the governor will in turn file that stay request in the third circuit ask the third circuit to stay it pending its its consideration and disposition of his appeal that he will file
6: okay how uh, what what's the time frame there
8: well, the stay requ- uh, I imagine the governor is preparing the stay request today. He'll, he'll file the notice of appeal and the stay request uh, probably the next day or two. Uh, I think Judge Stickman w- will deny it but that's just speculation because the judge already ruled the way he did. And then they'll have to go to the Third Circuit and try their luck there and see what the Third Circuit does. Uh, they could try to go right up to the United States Supreme Court, uh, but uh, I, I, I don't think they will do. They they bashed me for doing so uh, in my first case, and that was a very difficult legal hurdle to overcome. Uh, so they, so I, I assume they'll do the more traditional and the safer approach and go to the third circuit and ask it to to stay the, the judge's order
6: now yesterday uh the majority leader Kerry benninghoff was on the air with us and he was saying this is a, a good first step and i'm thinking a first step towards what does this open the door for more challenges immediately to other parts of what the governor is doing
8: well, we already have our case in the middle district, which is more comprehensive. It involves many other aspects of what we refer to as the COVID-19 restrictions, which include the occupancy limit order, the mask order, and others that were not addressed in the lawsuit that we're discussing in the Judge Stickman order. So, yes, I would I would say that's correct. This is a, a good, uh, strong first step. It's a good blow struck for freedom uh, by Judge Stickman. uh, And we will continue to to sue uh, this judge and try to take all of those restrictions off the people of Pennsylvania.
6: This is starting to get national attention. It's been picked up by AP. I saw it on ABC now. Uh, It's in uh, Drudge Report, Breitbart. It's on the Hill.com. So it's getting a lot of national attention. Uh, I don't know if that helps or hurts.
8: Well, it's gotten a lot of uh, the cases that I filed got a lot of national attention uh, from the beginning, and I was on Fox News with Fox and Friends and uh, the evening news with uh, Shannon Bream at 11 o'clock. Uh, so it, it's, it's a big deal. It, it's a strongly worded order. Uh, th- this judge found that we, the citizens of Pennsylvania, we have the right to pursue uh, our occupation, we have the right to work. These uh, orders were. Uh, infringed upon that he he struck down the business closure order because it violates our fundamental right to work and pursue our occupation that is beautiful language that harkens back to a, uh, a, an older era in, in us jurisprudence and he talks about that uh, in his decision so there could be very uh, uh, much wider ramifications because of the order and uh, because of the lack Language used by the judge in deciding this case
6: now I read all 67 pages and and you know early in his order he said something that really struck me and he said even though the governor and secretary Levin did something that that seemed like with good intentions the danger there is that when you have good intentions that's when sometimes you can ignore the Constitution and then he made the point and said the problem that I see is that sometimes these restrictions can stay long after the emergency is over. And I looked at that and said, man, that is true, isn't it?
8: well and exactly and and you had asked very early in our discussion here this afternoon uh, about well what what really is the benefit right now uh, yes it, it just it just strikes down the the congregate limits to to indoor and outdoor 25 and 250 but it also struck down the business closure order with its categorization into two different classes and the shutdown and the governor has said repeatedly throughout the litigation that he can bring the those orders back they weren't rescinded they weren't revoked they were simply suspended and the governor maintained that he can reimpose that business closure order we can go back to the non-life sustaining and the life sustaining and that whole rigmarole Judge Stickman said no you can't they're unconstitutional you can't do it so it it, it ties Judge Wolf's I'm sorry Governor Wolf's hands uh, so that he can't bring back the, the the more draconian orders, the business closure order, and Judge Stickman just lambasted the governor for his stay-at-home order, which which has never happened before in the history of our country. I've talked about that in, the, in my pleadings until I'm red in the face that it was so over-the-top and so unprecedented and so draconian. There was no legal basis to support it. So that's beautiful stuff that ties this government governor's hands moving forward.
6: Now, we, we, one last question, and, and that is we've had a couple of uh, dueling school districts here. One district, you know, the, the parents are upset because the school board is going to, you know, maintain the 250 limit. Another school district has said, hey, 500, 800, we don't care how many of you come to our football game. If, if a school district decides that they're just going to open the gates and anybody can come in, do they, potentially face any kind of legal complications later, or has the judge kind of opened the door for that?
8: Well, um... That's a that's a good, good and, and question that has kind of a complex answer. But let me let me flip it around and say it and approach it from this perspective. The the Pennsylvania Interscholastic Athletic Association PIAA uh, they released a statement yesterday and today saying they're going to review it. They're going to meet tomorrow. Their board's going to meet and they're going to decide what they're going to do because they have their own. Uh, guidelines that have these same restrictions in place. So the question is, are the restrictions still in place? The governor's restrictions are not. The PIAA's restrictions and and the local school districts that are using them, they are still in place. So what is the legal effect of this judge's order on PIAA at any school district that uses those restrictions, what's the effect on those? So um, I have lots of parents saying to me, well, can, I, can we all go to my son's football game this weekend? Can we invite friends and, 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 and neighbors? Can we have more than 250 people in that outdoor stadium? Yes because the governor's restrictions were struck down, but the PIAA in that school district still has its own restrictions in place. So now the question is, is is the PIAA... And the local school district going to be sued if they continue to have in place these restrictions that this judge found to be unconstitutional.
6: Oh, oh man. man. (laughs) (laughs) I told you you'd be sorry you gave me your cell phone number. (laughs) But you're, you're a great source of information, and I'm sure I'll talk to you again.
3: Don't go away taking care of our senior citizens next on Special Edition. Thanks for joining us again on Special Edition. I'm Paula Degnan, Taking care of our senior citizens across the Commonwealth. We'll hear from U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, and Bill Johnston Walsh, the Pennsylvania Director, AARP, with an update on nursing homes and COVID-19.
9: Paula, thank you so much for having me back. We've been working with the administration, with the governor, with the Secretary of Health, Secretary Levine over the last few months to really try to get testing to where it needs to be in nursing homes and also to get people back to visiting their loved ones in the facilities. Um, we've been we've been really fighting for this. Um, we've come a long way, but um, a lot more needs to be done. We're far from being done. Uh, we uh, now, with the federal government's help, have um, uh, real-time testing machines that are going to be coming down to the state. Um, as you know, um, you know, there's about 700 um, nursing homes with, within the Commonwealth, and each, each uh, nursing home will receive at least one, possibly two, depending on the numbers um, of these real-time uh, testing machines. There will be toolkits, uh, testing kits that go along with them that, that do the testing themselves, and this will allow um, these facilities to have real-time testing <clears throat> excuse me, within, within 15 to 20 minutes. They will know if someone has the virus or not so that they'll be able to come in. As of right now, the testing, as you know, takes 24, 48, even even longer, uh, 24 hours, 48 hours or longer for for people to find out. That's not helping us when you have staff coming in and out, when you want to have visitors coming in and out, when you have people uh, delivering supplies to the facility coming in and out. um, And that is just, um, you know, not where we want to be because, uh, as you know, 67% of the deaths that are occurring right now in the Commonwealth, and this has been for the last six uh, six months or so, and it's been it's slowly growing. Um, have been in nursing facilities, and so it's been very very upsetting to see that. And we want to continue this fight to make sure that we get the real time testing that we need, and the and the visitors getting back into the facilities.
5: I'm also seeing more information about nursing homes and other long term care facilities that are actually. Going above and beyond in order to come up with ways that people can come in. Uh, I know I I think I saw uh, a commercial for one of ours here in northeast Pennsylvania where they've actually constructed a box where you can come in and you can sit down and it's got a plexiglass. On one side but you can still at least see your loved one whether you can't have any kind of contact with them have you been hearing about things like that where where more nursing homes are are really thinking of different ways in order to be able to get people at least almost back together
9: yes I, I give I give the nursing home industry here in Pennsylvania so much credit they have been doing an outstanding job during this whole pandemic, trying their best to be able to keep people healthy, but then also being able to keep their loved ones coming in. So you're right. I, we've heard stories of, of that, people um, uh, having the plexiglass. We've heard um, stories of of loved ones being able to, to visit outside. You know, obviously the walk-up window piece that has been happening, but also uh, those that have been able to get into the facility wearing, wearing their masks, wearing their gowns. Um, We've, had, we've, we've seen people uh, construct or heard about people, who haven't seen it, but heard about people constructing these where you put your arms in through, like mm. so you do have, you have the plexiglass, but you can put your arms in so you can at least hug, hug your loved one, you know, which has not happened in months, and we are trying to change that.
5: One of the other things, and, and you mentioned, um, Dr. Levine, earlier, uh, the fact that there has been now compassionate caregivers, In nursing homes? Have you heard anything about that?
9: I have. Um, That just happened this past week. They came down with guidelines. So the the compassionate care, obviously, is different from a visitation because this is someone who's going to come in and obviously, you know, help feed the person, uh, be able to come in and have conversations with them, help them with their daily uh, activities of daily living. In order to do that, they have to have a a negative uh, COVID-19 test within the last seven days, have to wear a mask and they have to have a, a temperature test uh, at the same time. Um, the, 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 uh, the thing that's concerning to us, and, and we're so excited about this, but again, it goes back to the testing, this real-time testing that we need because 30% of those with the virus are asymptomatic, 30%. Right. So you can have, you can have someone that um, works there, goes back uh, into the community with their families, which they should be doing, and then the next morning coming back in. Um, and if we don't have these real-time tests, being done to everyone, um, which is not the case right now, and it doesn't look like it's going to be the case in the near future because it depends on where you are in the state with regards to if they're going to be doing testing every month, every week, or, every, or twice a week. Um, so uh, that's the other thing. We, think, we believe at AARP that uh, real-time testing should be going on on a daily basis, not once a month, not once a week, um, but on, on a daily basis.
5: That was another thing I wanted to ask you about because, again, there have been reports in different areas of different things happening. So it's not like it's all under one umbrella. Again, it's another one of these you can kind of decide what you want to do depending on where you are.
9: So, so basically what the state is doing is that they are following CMS, the, the, center, the Federal Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, um, they're following their testing guidelines through CMS, and but CMS, and, and to me, this is a baseline. This is this is not where we want to be. The, the baseline is they're going by the new COVID 19 cases in the county. So if you're under five percent in that county, then you don't have to test. Like in the facilities, you only have to test someone every four weeks, every month. Which um, and then if you're five to ten percent, which is more moderate, it's once a week. And if you're high, which is ten percent or more. Cases within the county that are coming in, they do it twice a week. But again, you know, like I, like I mentioned before, that 30% of those with the virus are asymptomatic. You know, people are going in and out of the facility, and these are the most vulnerable uh, people amongst our population, and we cannot be playing with their lives. Uh, and, and it doesn't take much, it takes a little bit of money. We understand that the nursing homes need, need help with regards to this, but the, but the federal government, has dollars. We we know that the, that uh, the last uh, federal wave of dollars that came down to the state, the governor is still sitting on about one billion dollars, and we're asking that a, you know a couple hundred million of those uh, dollars go towards uh, this testing, so that we can get people back in these facilities and back to their loved ones that they care so much about
6: also
5: what happens because we we hear so much about in the facility but there are cases where people are going to be there for a limited period of time and then they may be discharged so is that also coming into play now where they're looking at people that will again they're still vulnerable but now they're going to be going back out into the community and who knows Maybe they may have to come back again. Do you think the the testing would also help in that regard? And you know, could it be followed up on? I mean, there's just it it just becomes such a, a slippery slope when you have people of such conditions that are whether they're being exposed uh, one way or another.
9: That's exactly right. Yeah. So so there are there are individuals, um, as we know, uh, in nursing homes, there's long term residents but there are short-term residents that, that are in facilities um, around the Commonwealth and they are coming in and out. You're right. Sometimes I'm not saying it always happens at all the facilities, but it's a revolving door. You know, um, you're in there for either rehab, you're in there to be able to um, get better because you had a fall um, or, or your family couldn't take care of you right at that moment in time, but then that, then they're able to get things in place and they want to bring you back home. So yes, that is happening. And, and again, this testing needs to be done so that, those that are leaving, going into the community, are not going out with with the virus, uh, unbeknownst to them or or their family, and then you know spreading it out in the community, or vice versa, them coming back into a facility and not realizing it, and testing is not done on on a timely basis, and then they're then they're being able to spread it um, throughout the facility. So yeah, that that is a concern of of ARPs, and, and, and it should be a concern of everyone, both both in the federal and state governments as well.
5: Now, Obviously, we're talking about AARP being involved in the nursing homes, but as well as have you been hearing from other older residents who are not in facilities that still have the same kind of concerns with people who may be Again, they have to have groceries delivered. They have to have medicines. I know that a lot of times you can leave it outside, but again, you have a lot of different mobility and communications issues with elder with the elderly population. And I'm not just talking elderly elderly. I'm I mean, you know, people who have concerns. Like you said, you might have to go in for rehab or something to that effect. Have you been hearing from them as well?
9: We have. Um we you know that the, the the population that we look at, especially those and you're right, there are some younger individuals as well but but those sixty five and, and older that have underlying conditions, um, whether they be heart ailments or lung issues, um, they are scared to death um, we've We've heard from our members that you know they aren't going out, so even though they're not in the facility they're they're almost in lockdown in, in their homes as well uh because because they are just afraid to go out and 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 catch the disease and then and then die from it um so so the bottom line is yes we we are working with other organizations uh we're working uh with uh other other uh, aging organizations around around the commonwealth but we're also working obviously with the the uh the for-profit non-profit nursing homes as well um and we're working with uh the governor, working with his team um working with the attorney general's office We're so we're working with the whole of individuals to make sure that we can fight this pandemic, we can fight this virus, and we're putting all of these pieces in place, they're going to be able to, whether it's it's PPE with with masks, uh, both in facilities and outside of facilities, people wearing their masks whenever they can. You know, I try to tell people, I'm like, listen, you know, I know you're not worried about yourself, you know, because I I have a lot of friends that are saying, why am i wearing a mask i'm fine if i get it i'll just i'll just deal with it i'm like you know that's fine for you i go but think of your grandmother think of your parents i said i said just wear the mask when when you're out and about so that you're not spreading the disease you know you may not be worried about yourself but you should be worried about about others within the community and within your family
3: u.s attorney for the middle district of pennsylvania david freed Attorney Freed has some good advice on how to keep seniors safe from scams.
6: And on the line with us right now is the U.S. Attorney for the Middle District of Pennsylvania, David Freed, who who wanted to talk a little bit about elder abuse related to COVID-19. Attorney Freed, thank you for joining us, sir.
2: Uh, thanks for having me on again, Frank. It's a great pleasure.
6: COVID nineteen has been especially hard on our seniors. I mean, we, you know, that that's one of the areas where we have seen people hit the hardest. And so, when you when you reminded us and told us about how people are victims of fraud related to this, it was even more than shocking. Tell us about it, sir. Yeah.
2: So, Frank, it's it's an entry point. You know, um, think about. Previous uh, natural disasters or events like 9/11, and uh, you know where we see you know this country in particular and, and the world you know pour out their hearts to, to victims and open their wallets. Uh, uh, there's no more no country more generous than the United States when when things like that happen. Uh, at the same time. You know, fraudsters and scammers are going to use it as an entry point. Uh, They're going to use the fact that this pandemic is happening uh, to to come up with new scams uh, and to try to separate people, you know, from their hard-earned assets. And look, seniors are particularly vulnerable. Financial criminals associate seniors with money, and they associate them with being, you know, maybe less sophisticated in terms of technology. Uh, so you get a double whammy here, Frank. you, get, you got seniors who, who face a higher risk of developing serious complications from COVID-19 illness. We've all seen the disasters that have unfolded in our nursing homes. And according also to the CDC, seniors are, are now at higher risk of experiencing stress, you know fear, worry, uncertainty, loneliness, and and scammers feed on those sorts of emotions. So it''s, it's you know it's, it's well timed this year to have World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, World Elder Abuse Awareness week so that we can continue to to make the push uh, uh, for people to be vigilant and also to make reports. Can you give us some examples of some of
6: the fraud that the uh, Justice Department in your uh, office has been cracking down on?
2: Sure, we've seen some, some fake cure and vaccine scams. I think right now, vaccine scams are, are something we really need to be looking out for. You know, there's no FDA approved vaccine. There's a lot of news about potential vaccines and vaccine research. So if you get a call or, or, or an email or a text, you know, selling cures or vaccines, uh, and often somebody contacting a senior directly with a sales pitch, you know, don't buy that product. Report that incident uh and 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 report to the hotlines and and we can go looking you know if, they get, if there are phishing emails that'll you that'll be used people will pose as officials of the world health organization or somebody from the centers for disease control and prevention just like they do with the irs or social security scams frank you know they pose as a social security uh, employee or an irs agent you know they're never going to contact you uh in that manner uh and those are the types of imposter scams we've seen imposter scams with people posing as Medicare representatives to to offer free masks or gloves or hand sanitizers. You know, if you only click on this link and provide us some personal information, uh, we can provide you with those free goods. Those are scams, too. Finally, you know, unsolicited telephone calls and emails from folks, as I said, claiming to be IRS or Treasury employees, you know, to do with maybe some of these funds that are going out there. Uh, It doesn't work that way. IRS first form of communication is by mail, not by my phone they're not going to call you on the phone um so frank if you think about it they're similar scams to what we've seen but they're using COVID 19 as an entry point yeah for sure now i was surprised
6: to find out that there that the justice department has a an elder fraud strike task force what what is that sir
2: so one of the one of the uh, uh pillars, uh, really, uh, of, of priority for the Justice Department is pre- preventing and disrupting elder fraud. Um, so we've got the National Center for Disaster Fraud and the National Elder Fraud Hotline. Uh, we've got a, a, a dedicated task force uh, uh, clearinghouse around the country, so when people call these national hotlines, they determine where where the case is taking place and they send the case to the right place. And, and you know, very much a priority of former attorney. General Sessions and Attorney General Barr has kept on with that. Uh, one of the things that I think is important to get out there to the listeners, and, and I say this when I'm speaking to groups, you know, in this area, Frank, you know, Pennsylvania is a great state, but it's an aging state, and, and we have plenty of people who are potential victims here. When I get out and I'm talking to folks, you know, I want to really emphasize to, you know, get beyond the, 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 you know, there's embarrassment involved in this. Look, it happens to people every day, all across the country. The last group I spoke to, I played them a voice message that I kept receiving of somebody claiming to be with the IRS. You know, it happens to me. Luckily, I'm in this business, and I, and I know how to sniff out a scam uh, most of the time, but nobody's perfect. So we really want to get that message out, especially to the seniors. You know, make a report. We can investigate. And and you know what? Sometimes they're ahead of us, Frank, but even if they are, we use that to build intelligence, and then ultimately we can take them down.
6: Yeah, you know, Mark and I have have, uh, cautioned people that when they get uh, letters in the mail, sometimes the return address will look very official, but it's not. And we have, you know, we have been stressing. you got to make sure that you're dealing with the right source, and if you're in doubt, don't, because you're right. This area has been hit hard.
2: Yeah, you're 100% right, Frank, and that's a a great point. Uh, You know, you get those return addresses that looks like it's from the IRS or Social Security, something like that. I got a call the other day on my cell phone, and, you know, they mask... area coach to make it look like it's a local call you know i'm in 717. i get a call from 717 but it doesn't say we're in 717 it just says united states and you know what i tell people to do and i think the, and and we're so ingrained especially our seniors to you know pick up that phone people are trying to make contact with you uh you know if you don't know the number don't answer it you know somebody can leave a message there's always ways to get a hold of you
6: absolutely now h- how do people use the elder fraud hotline and what is the number sir Okay. So so the
2: National Elder Fraud Hotline and this is the one that I would I would recommend calling. It's 1-833 fraud 11 1833 fraud 11 launched by the Justice Department just this year uh, they can call that hotline make a report and like I said it will be uh, it's a national hotline but if they say this happened to me in, in, in Wilkes-Barre Pennsylvania uh, it's going to be directed to the Middle District of Pennsylvania and, and it's already shown uh, a, a great level of success and, and, and we're hopeful it will be continued into the future. There's also a disaster fraud hotline but for for elder fraud i would suggest you know let's use that 1-833-FRAUD-11 because it's directly related to elder fraud thanks for listening to special edition a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories a production of intercom communications
1: <sighs> spring is a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact